Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. In math, it's called reversion to the mean. In business, it's as simple as doing what others are doing, almost being too average. And is average good enough? Most of us strive for more, but why are so many of us stuck there? A lot of it is because we're not getting the right guidance, we're not getting the right coaching, we're not getting the right teaching, we're not taking the right action in order to be extraordinary, to be better than our, we were the day before, to be better than our peers. And not better in terms of better people, but doing a little bit more, helping more people, being more valuable to society. You're listening to The Entrepreneur's MBA. I am your host, Adam Kipnis. I appreciate you taking the time to be here. Today's guest is a master at helping you become extraordinary. She says in her book that average is an addiction. How do we break that addiction to be great? Deborah Debris, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Adam, it's my pleasure. Love doing this. And I'm very excited to be here with you. So thank you. You got it. You got it. So before we dig into sort of the the, the bulk of your work and, and where you help people, I always like to understand more about where you came from. Now, you've been a high performer since day one, but where did the entrepreneurial spirit come from? Yeah, I think the day one was I was born breached, so I came out feet first, ready to just rock it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, you know, I, where did it come from? I've got to say, probably from my Midwest upbringing. I mean, I was born and raised in a small town just outside of Chicago. Uh, my mom's side of the family were um, farmers, chicken, cows, and crops. My dad's side was Kentucky, which was tobacco. So I learned at a very young age that you got to work hard to get what you need. And it's okay to make it easier, I'm fine with that, but it does take effort um, and strategizing. But then at the end of the day, I would watch as um, my parents and my relatives would go out on the porch and sit in a swing, play instruments, sing and talk and all sorts of things. So I also learned fun is good as well. And the family stories were amazing. Um, so I think all of that combined, plus my attitude of, um, well, I'll say it this way. Somebody asked me once what really ticks me off, and I said, be an average, and that's for me or anybody else. Um, and I look at average as not, you know, I'm not an average person, but, and yet there are aspects of me that are average. I'm not as good as I could be. So, you know, at, at that point, I have to determine, do I care? You know, I'm an average cook. I don't care. My dog eats food from a bag. I do fine finding enough food to eat. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. But if I were a chef at a very fine restaurant, then being average is not going to cut it. Not if I want to excel in this world. So I think just that attitude of always doing better, getting better was ingrained in me as a little girl, um, especially from my, uh, my father. And it's interesting that you say that you're okay being average in some aspects of your life and extraordinary in others. Many times high performers, they, they, they're fantastic at work, but their family life suffers and they beat themselves up over the failures, not celebrate the successes. Where do you fall on understanding that for yourself and for your clients? 
Well, again, it goes back to, um, you know, what thoughts are repeating, you know, what thoughts are repeating, uh, repeating in your head that really upset you? What do you see in others that you don't like? Because it's probably happening within you too. Um, what's important to you? You know, family to me is very important for me as a single mom to excel as a mom. Now I have to decide what does excel mean? Because excel doesn't mean I'm going to push my kids and, and correct them all the time. And that to me, excel is I create an example for my kids. And I make sure that we have very meaningful discussions that, that matter to their growth. You know, but then I look at work and I decide, all right, so what I'm doing, I'm working with elite athletes and elite business professionals. So what does that mean? So there becomes first a clarification of what does that mean to me? How do I need to be? Who do I need to become contextually in order to move that forward? Um, and then to make sure that I'm focused on those areas rather than diverse in trying to get everything exactly right. And you bring up elite athletes and elite business people and you can be an elite athlete, but not be an elite performer. You can be an elite business person, but not be an elite leader. I know it, it, there's probably a chicken and egg aspect to it, but how do you uncover where someone's elite so you can fix the other side? Uh, well, I don't necessarily always fix the other side. Depends on if the other side needs fixing or not. <laughs> correct, correct. And I always look at, you know, within each one of us, we have all that we really need. It's just a matter of uh, typically um, uh, where are we hitting the wall? <clears throat> and I describe the wall as it's um, your beast. You know, I have a section in my book called Tame and Train Your Beast. Uh, the B stands for your beliefs, the E is your emotions, the A is your acute awareness, the T is your, um, excuse me, the S is your self-identity. It's how you think about yourself and talk to yourself, especially when you're all alone with your thoughts. And then the T is your talk and walk, it's your verbal and nonverbal language. So the first time I meet with, an, whether it's an elite performing athlete or CEO or senior leader, entrepreneur, um, we start talking about what's important to you. I mean, what's really important to you, not the BS answers that you've come up with in the past, what's really important. And oftentimes I'll take them way out into the future where we can bypass the conscious mind, which comes up with the same answers every single time um, based on our you know, past performance and past experiences. I'll take them way out into the future, 20, 30 years where their subconscious mind starts to come forward, which is the creative mind, the more emotional mind. Um, and we look at what is it that really truly is important to you. And then we start determining, so how do we close that gap from where you are to where you say that you want to be? And then once we know that, we just focus on those particular areas. So if we know where you want to be and we know where you are, then it becomes, so what does it take to get you there? Most often, it's not knowledge, skills, talents, those type of things, because they pretty much already have that. What it is, is overcoming the fear, the worry, the anxiety, the frustration, the um, procrastination that keeps them and that hesitation from doing what they know they want to do. They're just not doing it. And in your personal career, your personal journey, uh, 
one of your many successes was that you started as a receptionist and worked your way up to be CEO of a $20 million plus company. And as we dig into that journey, I want to bring it back to what you were just saying. Did you have that vision? Did you have that idea when you first took that receptionist job that, hey, I'm going to run this place someday? Or is that something that formulated as you grew in yourself and in your role? Absolutely not, because I couldn't think that big. You know, to me, I had the perfect job. When we moved from uh, my family, I was married at the time. I have two children. um, And we moved to Arizona uh, from the Chicago area. And my entire goal was to get out of the house, not talk baby talk, (laughs) to make enough money to pay for the additional, the used car, the insurance, and all that type of thing. And when I got the job as a receptionist, I was like, yes, yes, this is the perfect job for me. Small town girl, high school diploma. I got this. And I did for six months. Rearranged everything in the front office. They were sending me out on sites, doing all sorts of things. Um, And I ended up being very frustrated because I knew inside of me there was something saying, but man, there's so much more that you're capable of. And I needed that next challenge. So when there was an opening in our construction construction division for a construction accountant, um, I wanted the job. And I had two problems. One, I had didn't knew nothing about construction. And two, I'd never had an accounting job in my entire life. But what I ended up discovering, which is what catapulted my career, um, was that I needed to bet on me. And I came up with my own self-identity statement, which I write about in my second book, and I teach my clients as well. And I learned that, you know, I'm tenacious, I'm gutsy, I'm street smart, I ask a lot of really smart questions and I expect answers and I'm determined and I'm going to do whatever it takes within my value system to get ahead for me. So my competition was always me to me, not me to anybody else. And whenever I got that particular job and then uh, as the construction accountant and then went, holy man, now what am I going to do? Um. I went through a lot of, you know, crying, going home, getting up in the morning, trying to get ready for work, coming into work, having some of the worst arguments I've ever had in the car coming in. The only problem was I was the only one in the car. Um, (laughs) All those voices that we have, uh, no, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. And I was like, uh, and I ended up, you know, toughed it up, toughed it out, stepped in. And just continue to learn and grow and build what I call the foundation of having enough courage to say yes, and then figuring out how to make it happen. And it sounds like you're in, in your roles, whether it was the receptionist role or whether it was the, the construction accountant role, not only were you driven to succeed in that role, you were driven to see where it would bring you next and it sounds like you were learning along the way what would be your future role and what you're doing now. You're taking those skills and doing it now. Absolutely. Did you, when did you, I guess, when did you identify that you were building a process, a procedure that you could, you could teach others? Or was it just course of business? You were just doing stuff. <laughs> um, a little bit of both. Uh, it was like a whole, you know, aha moment plus a building moment of my own because whenever I, uh, in, uh, got the job as the receptionist, or excuse me, as the construction accountant. Um, one thing I knew because of mistakes that I made, those learning experiences that hurt, 
um, <laughs> was that I needed to, um, uh, in order to be most successful, I needed to build processes. So I called them cheat sheets. So for anything that I was gonna do more than once, I built a cheat sheet that told me exactly, you know, step one, step two, step three. And then if this happens, go do this. And if that happens, come back and go, you know, this pattern. So I could build those sequences um, in the systems for what I was doing. At the, same at the same time, I started taking now 35 years worth of uh, studies with scientists and biologists and spiritual leaders. And, you know, because I was studying science and spirituality at the same time, um, <clears throat> I started to learn and understand that in order to grow, I needed to grow within me first so that I had the courage to take the next step to see the possibilities of the next step and not be limited by uh, my past or my background of, you know, small town girl, high school uh, diploma. That was not, that was my story of the past. That was not my uh, vision of the future. So I just did that at every single level is all of a sudden, it's like moving a car in darkness. <clears throat> if you're sitting one place and you um, think you want to go, you know, straight forward for, 100 miles, well, you turn the lights on in the car and you look around and you go, oh, no, there's a you know big canyon in front of me, so I've got to go a little bit to the left. And then you go a little bit to the left and then you go, oh, well, here's a path, I can take that path. And you start going down that path and you go, oh, well, I thought I was gonna go to the right, but it looks like going to the left is a better decision. So that's the same thing here, that every step that I took, I saw and understood something more, something different. I also understood more about me and I continued to build evidence that I can do it. So even in the face of fear, I had evidence that I faced fear in the past and could take that next step forward. You worked on yourself, you put yourself and your, your role in a position that you could turn it over to somebody else by having those cheat sheets and having those steps for another to follow. And you worked your way up to CEO. Many of us would believe that being the CEO is a completely different skill set than being a receptionist or being a construction accountant. But you went on a path from one to the next to the next. Once you were at, I would say, the pinnacle of that business, of that company, looking back, what, what had to change overall and what stayed the same for you? Well, the first thing that had to change was my contextual perception of myself, of others, of future possibilities. Um, and I had to do that multiple times because once I became construction accountant and I got really, really good at doing that, then in order to feed the challenge that I needed, it was me changing the contextual uh, picture of who I am, what I, how I needed to be in the world in order to take that next leap and the next leap and the next leap. Uh, what stayed the same is me. <laughs> meaning, <laughs> meaning even when I wrote my uh, second book, I had well, the um, editor would go through and she'd change words and do different things. And I'd go, mm, no, that's just the way I talk. This needs to be my voice. I'm a Chicago girl. I still wash my car. I can't get the R out of it. It's just there. <laughs> so it's, it's me really becoming more of me standing powerfully in who I am, which is why, you know, I'm marketed as a no BS speaker, trainer, coach, 
um, because I will hold your feet to the fire, but I'll also hold your hand and walk you through some of those troubled times um, because I know, I know from my own journey, that's what I needed at times, some of both. I appreciate that. We're talking with Deborah Dubris on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast with Adam Kipnis. So Deborah, you, you get to the, the CEO role and then now you transition to speaking and writing and helping people become extraordinary. Talk to us a little bit about that transition, just the nuts and bolts of leaving something that, that you really helped lead and build and then going out on your own and, and doing it again and helping others do the same. Yes, well, I, I loved, you know, I was 25 years in the construction industry. And so it was very unique as a woman to be in that industry, especially when I was in it, um, not quite as much now. And when I, I'd always had the dream uh, of really working with people to stop the struggle that we all have as human beings. Um, and I started working within my own company. I wrote a course called the um, Spirit of Entrepreneurial Leadership and started teaching that to my VPs as well as my project managers and my upper, uh, upper management team and saw how, how amazed they were at the transitions that they were making. I provided information. They made the transition. Um, so we went from, you know, Fridays, 30 minutes in the morning uh, excuse me, uh, fr every Friday at six o'clock in the morning, we would meet for about an hour and a half. And I told them first three meetings are mandatory. After that, it's up to you if you want to stay or not. And it got to the point that if I went on, was going to go on vacation or something, they're like, well, what are we going to do? We need to have our meeting, you know, because <laughs> they were hungry <laughs> for the information and the transformation. So it became a little bit easier for me to, um, feed my own heart, my own passion of the coaching and the training and speaking. I spoke nationally and internationally um, and trained in three different countries, nine different, I don't know what, three different continents, nine different countries. That's what it is. Um, and I love the fact that people are the same no matter where they go. They may talk a little different. They may little, look a little different, but that we're the same no matter where we go. And to feed that in me, it, it required me um, leaving the industry, selling my company and moving into doing this full time, which is why 15 years ago, I created Clear Edge as one word, because I always look at what do you do when you're at that edge? And the edge could be the edge of that next possibility. It could be the edge of um, all the thoughts and the worries and the feelings and concerns that you have. Uh, whatever that edge is for any individual. The edge could be picking up the phone and making a sales call. So whatever that is for someone, it's what do you do when you're at that edge? And uh, I was told years ago by someone in an international mastermind group I was in, they said, I'm the person, <laughs> excuse me, that I'm the person that people strap onto right before they jump off the edge. So <laughs> for me, that's fun. <laughs> Yes, that, and, uh, and you've helped so many people doing it. I'm a big believer that we are all elite at something. It's finding that something that is the challenge. And sometimes it's just confidence. Sometimes it's, it's wording. Sometimes it's understanding of ourselves. There's no answer to this question, but is there one or two things that 
that you can guide our audience on on how to identify what they're what they're elite at or how or how to own it, I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, owning it's different than recognizing it. Because <laughs> the owning <laughs> it goes back to the tame and train your beast, you know, how to really step into it and take action on it. And that becomes the most difficult part. Coming up with goals and strategies and all that, that's easy. You can Google that. That's not a big deal. Um, so to me, I always look at what is it that I'm truly enjoying right now? What piece of it am I really enjoying? Um, and then break that down into, you know, as many finite parts as you can so that you can look at those individual pieces and say, yes, I do love speaking, but why do I love speaking? Well, I love speaking because I enjoy being with people and watching their faces change and the expressions and the hearts and the body movements and they start to go, oh, you know, something, something unique and different is going on within their body. The same way as I like coaching. Coaching, I do, uh, you know, over the phone, internationally, over Zoom, whatever, whatever it needs to be. And I listen for the nuances, that change in a voice. Uh, might be a little faster, might be a little slower, might be a little higher, might be a little lower. Whatever that shift is and the shift in energy, that feeds me because I understand that something big is about to happen. Either I'm going to tap into, okay, so tell me about what's going on right now because I can feel and I can hear it in your voice that there's something that isn't quite right. And whenever you're ready to share it with me, let me know. Or I can hear the excitement and that's like, what can we do to um, uh, accelerate that and duplicate that in other areas? So for each of us, I think it goes down to that nuances of what is it that feeds us emotionally um, and to make sure obviously that that fits something in the marketplace where people um, say, yeah, I, I need that. Um, so, which is why the clear edge, because the people I work with, they're always looking for that edge. How can I develop my edge? So. Understandable. And it, and it sounds like that there are some people that you work with that something needs to be fixed or tweaked. There are others that something needs to be accentuated. If we're sitting at home, it, we we're, most people are always trying to fix what's broken because we have a little bit of um, our self-reflection is on the negative side versus on the positive side for, for most Americans. Uh, it, any quick trips to, on the mindset side for people to, to sort of level set and say, all right, rather than focusing on what's broken or what needs to be fixed, how do I center myself so I can actually have a little more clarity? Well, I like the word center yourself because oftentimes when people are in stress, the first thing to do is come back to neutral because anytime you're in stress, whether it's high level stress or low level stress, part of, part of what happens is that our, uh, our autonomic nervous system, what goes down our spine is being affected. The heart is being affected. It's pounding faster. The heart, which is, you know, affected, you know, you can feel the heart pumping the, you know, the you know, sweaty palms and pits and all that type of thing. Our nervous system is affected. Uh, we're not able to think straight. Uh, so there's so much that is affected anytime that we have feelings that are toward the negative side. Now, negative feelings aren't necessarily bad. You know, in other words, if there was a lion sitting in front of me ready to jump, 
being in fear is a pretty good thing, you know, but if it was a cricket, then I need to determine that's probably something I need to get past or get over or get rid of the cricket. In order to look at, you know, what are the steps that can be taken? um, Always, always one of the first things I teach is around breathing. Uh, It's a quick coherence type of breathing where we breathe and bring into alignment, body, mind, and emotional system. So it involves not just the, uh, it involves not just the, uh, the breathing, it goes beyond to bringing in the emotions as well. So unless you bring in the emotions, there is no real change. Understood. Um, so and then understanding the thoughts. So one of the things to do is instead of we tend to run from, push down, shove down our thoughts going, I'll just tough it up, I can get through this. And you can sometimes for a moment or two, but not long term. So one of the things you can do as well is to take a piece of paper, write down all your negative thoughts, track them. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's the body sensation? Uh, And what's the action you either take or don't take? And then tie that back to, um, and what is that about? People, places, things, times, events, or situations. When you can tie it to what's the trigger, people, places, things, times, events, or situations, and you know what your response is, now you have a good part of the formula. Now you can look at, okay, so then how would I like to respond? How would I like to feel? What would I need to believe about myself or about that person? or about the situation in order to make that change. And once you now have both sides of the formula, now it's a matter of getting from one one side to the other side. And those are typically the techniques that I teach. Fantastic. I appreciate the way you broke that down. And as we wrap up, you know, I think once you have yourself in a better spot, once you know where you are and you can begin to make those some of the decisions, now you can use that to grow a better business. And a lot of people that I talk to, whether they're painters or coaches or doctors, are very confident in their skill set. They're great practitioners at what they do, but they don't do it for enough people. And that stresses them out a little bit. So in, in your life, obviously you've had the, the pedigree and the success, but where do you continue to get clients? Where do you find people that other people may be able to model that same type of technique or marketing plan? Well, some uh, is I uh, find the right organizations to belong to. The people that uh, may have my ideal client within the organization, and then I make sure that I become part of the organization. I learned long, long ago when I was interviewing a former NFL player, and I asked him, "What's the one tip? You know, if there were one tip that you would give me, what would it be?" And he says, "Get your name, get your face in the place." You know, in other words, keep going back to the same place over and over so people know, like, and trust you. Don't be someone who shows up and then people never see you again. You show up again and all you do is want something from them. Um, a lot of, my, uh, lot of my business comes from referrals. Luckily, uh, I've got great clients who, when they uh, know of others that need my services, they refer me, even internationally, which is really strange to me that I get a call even from Iceland at one time. Uh, to help out. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, obviously, is a good place to go as well to make sure, and I would say videos are better than 
the written word. Certainly you can add the written word to it, but videos are what draw people in. Or if you're going to be writing, make sure that the picture that you choose evokes the emotion that you want the person to have when they're reading your article. So just really get that. Even when I do slides for PowerPoint, if I'm out speaking, majority of my slides are, you know, at least half of the screen, if not more on any one slide is a picture. And it could be of anything, but I'm looking for the picture to evoke the emotion. I'm looking for the audience to have as I'm talking about a particular topic, because it's the emotion that locks in the memory that says, I may not have remembered what she said, but man, I know she was spot on. So I think those things can help. And then also, you know, making sure that you're out there presenting yourself, whether it's a, you know, a podcast like yours, speaking, um, getting the word out there. I love it and love the conversation. I really appreciate your time and your candidness. Deborah Dupree, Dupree, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. It was a pleasure. Great. And thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.